in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, hi, hi, hi. Hey, it's uh, an anniversary tomorrow. Five years with my wife. And for me, five years from today, last drop of alcohol I ever had. Yeah, I woke up uh, wedding day morning not feeling so great. Uh, It's not like I had a wild bachelor party, far from it. But I did do a fair amount of drinking, and it was just becoming a bigger and bigger thing. So I said, uh, yeah, no more. And I had, you know, then I had a borderline problem. I had tried to stop before, and uh, so, um, and I didn't. And anyway, this time it has stuck. No drinking in five years as of today. And uh, a lot's happened in those five years. Uh, got married, had two children, uh, started two new successful TV shows, uh, started a uh, radio show. Uh, I have a book deal. And my Twitter account went from about 5,000 followers to nearly 700,000 followers. And I am much happier, calmer, better, and more able to do God's will and uh, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. However, 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 uh, you know, I think I have to cut something else out of my life. And that would, well, there are a lot of things, but uh, number one, primarily, uh, if I did it once with alcohol, I think I can do it again with sugar. I, uh, oh boy, uh, I had a, I had a bad breakfast and I am just blowing up. I am blowing, blowing up. And I think that five years, blowing up in the wrong way, the belly, the this, the that, uh, New Jersey diet, huh? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. NJ diet. 40 pounds in 40 days. Let's do it. Let's do it. I am I am ready. And uh, I don't want to, you know, no New Year's resolutions. Time's, time goes so fast. And uh, anyway, so that's going on, and that's all good. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump is, so what? He's having a little bit of a political rivalry with um, DeSantis. That's okay. That's politics. Boy, oh, boy. Anytime Donald Trump does it, everybody gets horrified, even when he acts normally. And granted, these statements are not what a normal politician would Put out the stuff about Ron DeSantis, the stuff about uh, Glenn Youngkin, but it's all true. Everything he's saying, you got to remember this about Donald Trump, right? There are three things I learned about Donald Trump to understand him. He is number one from New York. Uh, we're a little bit different, right? Not only is he from New York, he's from Queens, New York. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's different. That's different than growing up in Jacksonville, Florida. It just is. Um, he's a billionaire. Uh, those guys are, you know, when they act like uh, crazy people and they're eccentric and they're wild and they're flying off the handle, it's all celebrated and seen as uh, brilliance if it's, well, as long as it's somebody on the left, as long as it's Steve Jobs, uh, you know, Bill Gates, you know, they, they have wide latitude to do whatever they want and it's always hailed as genius. Uh, when Trump uh, behaves in a peculiar, unique kind of way, it's like he's a madman and he must be stopped. No. Uh, he's what I'm telling you. He's he's three things. He's from Queens. He's um, uh, he's a billionaire. And oh, and he's not a politician. He's just not a politician, did not spend his life trying to get people to like him, trying to get people to give him money. Um, well, banks, I guess. But that's different. You know, he's a businessman. He did not go around promising you know, with a big smile, empty favors, uh, empty smile, n- not delivering, over-promising, under-delivering. That's what politicians do. 
Never forget, and everybody should go look for it. It's the, hey, do me a favor, actually, let's get that. The Rona Barrett Donald Trump interview from like 1980. Donald Trump is 34 years old. He's not even old enough to be president. And he's on a national TV show being hailed for his uh, his success already. He had several big projects under his belt. He did the uh, the Hyatt Hotel. And, uh, and Rona Barrett, who was like the big interviewer of that time, says, would you like to be president? And he said, no, Rona, I really don't think I would because I see it as a very mean life. And moreover, I see it as a life that... It's really for somebody with a big smile and no great brain. You know, I have ideas that might be right for the country, but may not be popular. And it was just a very nuanced, interesting response to that question. And it is kind of like, how do you, how do, how, how do you sell ideas that are good for the country that might be unpopular? And I think he was waiting for the moment where those ideas, because you really can't, quite frankly, in politics, if you got an idea that's good for the country but unpopular, well, you're out of luck in a weird way. Uh, but if you, if the country, I think the country met Trump. Trump had been thinking about these things. You can look it up. Decades ago, he was saying the same stuff then that he is now. And uh, he is the leader of the party. Uh, the midterms, gosh, you know, one of the things that we like about him so much is that he sticks his neck out when he doesn't have to, actually. He sticks his neck out for the country. Unlike any other politician, I mean, they stick their neck out for nobody, nobody, nobody. It's all about them. It's one of the reasons why they don't go to uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, you know, on some random Saturday in the middle of the summer uh, to campaign. That's why Barack Obama only came in at the very, very end so he could look cool. Otherwise, you know, if, if Fetterman lost, if Fetterman lost, nobody would blame Obama, right? But Oz lost, and people are blaming Trump. Don't you think Trump knew the risk of that? Now, that's not fair, but he did everything he could to help Dr. Oz. And uh, Dr. Oz, who I love and admire, and I wish he won, and quite frankly, I think he did win, if you know what I mean. He wanted that endorsement. Everybody wanted There's nobody I know of who's turned down Trump's endorsement. They're acting like he just kind of meddled his way, pushed his way in. And I also would like to see the data that says uh, Donald Trump blew it, blew the Georgia election back in 2021. I don't know if that's the case. I mean, when has the mainstream media steered us wrong before, you know? So Fox News, they are abandoning Trump. I do believe it's because of the boss of the company, uh, Rupert Murdoch, says, you know, he makes it known through his lieutenants and it trickles down and they all get their marching orders. Uh, where's that guy? I like him, and I've met him many, many times over the years. We had lunch once in 2003, I think, uh, and he's on this radio station, Kilmead, right? Mike, uh, uh, Brian, we like we like Brian a lot. Uh, what did he say? Ah, here he is. Cut 22, please. Cut 22. Supporters would like to see him get all behind Herschel Walker right now in the most helpful way possible. And, and sometimes it might be being quiet, because in Georgia he's not that be, popular. It, it might be being quiet. And and also to sort of stop the bows and arrows that he's shooting at DeSantis. Right, which is insane because it's like shooting at somebody. DeSantis is so much like Trump in so many ways, but different enough at 44 years old to offer different attributes and different skill set. Wow, yeah. Uh, this happens all the time in politics, okay? It's okay. These guys are making it worse. 
I, I, I don't know. I find that rather audacious, rather audacious to call on Trump to not do something, to do something. He knows what he's doing. That's one thing I will not do is advise him after all he's been through. And I know this week has looked kind of dark, but he's been in the jam before, right? Now, I always go back to Access Hollywood, which is the most widely misunderstood moment in American politics. Um, even conservatives, especially conservatives, totally misinterpreted that tape, totally and completely uh, missed the story. I missed it myself, actually. I was speaking of my wife earlier. You know that tape. You know that tape, right? The grab him by the you-know-what, right? Remember that tape? Well, everybody said Donald Trump was uh, bragging about sexually assaulting women. No, he was not. He was not. And it's right there in the tape. And everybody in the world missed it except for my wife. Because what did he say? Do you remember? They're laughing and giggling with Billy Bush. And I've heard all kinds of things in private, all kinds of things. Everybody has. Hell, now you should see what the, wait, Ever look up a typical rap song, right? By uh, Takeoff, by uh, who else is big right now? Lil Baby, by Cardi B, all this stuff that they say and it's celebrated and it's lauded and it's on the Grammys, right? He's saying it at least in private on a bus, right? In a private on a bus and he thinks he's off camera. Anyway, he says, when you're a star, they let you do anything. Grab him by the... Does anybody see what I'm getting at here? When you're a star, they let you. Let. Consent. It's consent. He was boasting about consensual activities. And I have, uh, I've heard, I could be wrong about this, but I've heard a rumor that women tend to like successful, powerful, rich men. I just, I have this vague hunch that that's true, right? And that if you have money and status and fame and power, a lot of them will let you do a lot of things, right? It's just a rumor. Just a vague notion. I think I saw it in a sociology book once, somewhere, somewhere. Anyway, very unfair what they're doing to him, and it doesn't matter. It's already kind of evaporating, you know, the darkness the darkness of uh, the situation. Look, here's what we really have to look at also. Um, I feel like the current voting patterns are now baked into the system. I don't trust early voting. I don't. Uh, I'm going to... Go back to Jimmy Carter and Secretary of State James Baker, what they said about voting all the way back in 2005, that mail-in voting is susceptible to fraud. You've got to be very, very careful with these systems. Very few states have. Florida has, and so has Ohio. Uh, So what did he say about, do we have that statement? Uh, He really ripped into uh, DeSantis, calling him, I made him, that's all true. Uh, He was behind in the polls uh, back in 2017. He came to me, and I endorsed him. He went to number one. That's all true. And he said that I helped him beat the crackhead. That's true. Uh, I mean, this is all true stuff. You know, unlike some of the stuff that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton bickered about. And, I mean, how about uh, Joe Biden and Kamala? Kamala called Joe Biden a racist to his face. This stuff is just, this is minor compared to that. Minor. Now, here's a little bit of Hillary Clinton and um, Obama going at it. Cut 23. Uh, let's talk about it. The, uh, Hillary, I'm, I will be happy to provide you with the information about all the, uh, all the spending that we do. 
Now, let's talk about Ronald Reagan. What you just repeated here today is patent. Wait, no, Obama, Hillary, you just spoke. I did not, spoke, I did not just say anything about minutes. Ronald Reagan. You said two you just, things. You, you just talked spoke. about admiring Hillary, Ronald Reagan, sorry, and you talked about you, the you ideas spoke, of the Senator, Republicans. I didn't talk about Hillary, Ronald Reagan. We just had the tape. You just said that I complimented the Republican ideas. That is not true. That is not true. And they're talking, you just talked, now it's my turn. Talk about sophomoric. At least with Trump, they're talking about real issues, real things. So uh, blaming Trump, blaming Trump. Again, when you stick your neck out, yeah, that's the risk. And he's willing to take risks to advance the cause of the country. I love that. Very few people. And you know who will not take a risk for anybody, for anything except himself? Uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, he's uh, made it a point that any kind of that that he would uh, grant grant money would have to say that the 2020 election was completely free and fair, and Joe Biden is the uh, legitimately elected president of the United States. And as for me, well, I, you must vote for me for minority leader or majority leader. It doesn't matter as long as I'm the leader and I get to keep all this uh, free stuff. I found a video of him walking through this unbelievable palatial office suite he has, and it's one of four that he has, by the way. It's set up like the freaking king of England. It's a massive, massive office suite. Um, do you have a fireplace in your office? Uh, I don't. <laughs> uh, Mitch McConnell has uh, <laughs> has one. He's got butlers. He's got. Listen to this thing. Can we do it? I think we can do it. Cut twenty four. I spend most of my time here. Um, like all senators, I have another office uh, in. The Russell Building. Uh, we have three Senate offices, but I have, as a result of being leader, I have sort of two offices and two sets of staff. The, the staff here uh, deals with all of the senators. My staff in Russell is mainly oriented toward Kentucky and my responsibilities there. But just to keep myself from running back and forth all the time, I, I generally operate out of here. Oh, gee whiz. He's got all this stuff. He just, he works. This is a federal employee. You got to see. It's set up like royalty. And he has totally, totally lost sight of what the hell the people sent him there for. Career politician. He actually said last night that he's been in D.C. since 1963. That's almost, uh, that'll be 60, 60 years in two months. All right, give me a moment. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Not that it's necessary, but Mike Pence, Mike Pence, do, do we need to talk about him? He's still trying to make news. He's got a book out. He is a total dud, a total and complete dud. Uh, the book is so self-righteous. And so, and by the way, he leaves out some key points. Yeah. Mr. We got to watch out for anybody who goes around calling themselves Mr. Integrity. You know, you just got to watch out for him. Now, I noticed this um, in the book. He says, uh, how do they how do they put it? Like, I wanted to hear the objections. I wanted to have a full and complete vetting of all of the discrepancies related to the election. I told that to a United States senator. Uh, interesting. Interesting that you say in the book that you told that to a United States senator, because in actuality, Pence, Mike, you told it to the whole world, but you left this part out of the book. Granted, I've only seen the excerpts in the Wall Street Journal, but you talk about this time period. You talk about the senator. You go from December all the way to January 6th and January 20th, and you don't mention this part. 
And why is this important? Because, well, some might think that could Pence have had a role in attracting all those people to January 6th? Of course he did, but he wants to downplay that now. Listen to this, Cut 26, Mike Pence on January 4th, 2021, Cut 26. I know we all, we all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. So at that point, by the way, he was trying to be all things to all people. All right. Now, he was trying to uh, throw a bone to conservatives who really thought the election was screwed over and that he had, uh, under the Electoral Count Act of 1887, the authority and the discretion to perhaps send those electoral votes back to state capitals. But I heard at the time when he said, we'll hear the objections. We'll have the discussion. I knew, okay, so that means within the Capitol. He's not, he's not ready, willing, or able in his mind to do anything more than that. That was a, that was a problem for me. And, and I read him correctly. He didn't do anything. He didn't want to do anything. And everything worked like a, everything worked according to plan because you've heard me say this before. If you remember, the people were let into the Capitol. You know that. I know that. I've seen the cops. I've showed you on my Newsmax show how the the protesters were allowed into the Capitol. They were encouraged to go inside the Capitol. And you tell me this. The cops who did try to keep the protesters from coming in, what were they armed with? Bike racks. Yeah, we're going to have a bunch of bike racks surrounding the Capitol on this critical day. Anyway, uh, Pence left that part of the uh, out of his book. Because he's ashamed of that, actually, on some level. I wonder if somebody as self-righteous as Mike Pence can ever feel shame, actually. Anyway, he's a dud, and he's finished. I will buy his book. Uh, I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Up A nice, beautiful tweet um, uh, on Mike Pence. Mike Pence has no guts, is timid and weak cares more about the swamp and what the swamp thinks about him than the Constitution, surrounded by never-Trumpers. Enjoy Indiana, Mike. Uh, that's that's He's going back to Indiana. He's going back to Indiana. That's it. He's still going around. Uh, I'd like to talk to you. I, I, would, I, would like, I would like to talk to you about democracy. He's just following all this. And, and by the way, they eat it up. They eat it up. They love it. Just one soundbite, then I want to talk to you guys. Uh, this is everybody praising Mike Pence, right? Republicans, Democrats, oh boy, cut 28. When these people like you, you know you're doing something wrong. Cut 28. You will hear today that President Trump's White House counsel believed that the vice president did exactly the right thing on January 6th. When the pressure campaign failed and Mike Pence fulfilled his constitutional obligation, Donald Trump turned a violent mob loose on him. He instigated the attackers to target the vice president with violence, a man who just wanted to do his constitutional duty. Um, wow, they talk to us like we're children, right? Doesn't that kind of sound like the, that, that, especially that last woman, Our, their constitutional duty? Hmm, uh, let's see. Let's try Sam and Belmont. Belmont where? Hey, no, Belmore, how are you doing? Oh, Belmore, how are yeah. you? How are you? Good. Congratulations on your sobriety. That's fantastic to hear. Thank you. That's great news. 
Good luck with sugar. <laughs> if you can do it, that's great. But I wanted to say something that you had mentioned that I never heard before and I always felt about Trump and his nicknames. It's a very Queens thing. I had a nickname. My cousins had nicknames. My friends had nicknames. We all had nicknames, and they weren't nice. They were, <laughs> no, they were. They weren't like complimenting you on you know your nice hair. Right. They took a weakness of yours and exploited it, and and and, and labeled you that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of my nicknames was Gloppy. Gloppy because I was you know I trip over things and four step on people's feet and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's also a, a sort of an endearment. I don't know about Trump endearing people, but anyway, I like I that really... gloppy. Wait a second, gloppy. It's it's better than sloppy. Wait, what? Gloppy. It works. What is the G? Where do they get the G from? Gloppy. I have no, I have no idea. You know, I used to fall down the steps or <laughs> fall up the steps or step on my aunt's feet or whatever Which... it was. <laughs> it was... All right, you, by the way, do you uh, figure that out? Can you walk straight now? I can, yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I try really hard. I finally got it right. All right. But, hey, yeah, I know. We broke the code on Trump. Remember those three things. Billionaire from Queens and uh, not a politician. And that's the way they are. Thank you, uh, Sam, very much. Max is in New Jersey. Yes, Max. Hey, Greg. What's doing? Hello. Hi. Yeah, so... I think Trump's a great guy, and he did a great job. Uh-oh, we have somebody who's not – what's going to – and but what? But the thing is that if it's between Democrats and Republicans, we want a Republican president, and he's going to alienate to independent voters. That's just a basic fact. You stop uh, speaking so fast. I mean, uh, by the way, if I want to hear this, I can turn CNN on at any moment, at any day. Now I can hear Fox News. Look, I don't agree with you, all right? You're wrong. If you want, you, you're trying to, you're trying to appease the critics. The critics will never be appeased. The Trump haters will never, never be appeased. All right. It just, you want to play their game. You know, Democrats never do that. Not, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, but I notice they don't ever really try to fit into our rules. But you're trying to fit into theirs, Max. I think that's a recipe for failure. All right. Look at him. Look at what he's really saying. Don't look at what the fake news tells you about what he's saying. Look at what he's actually doing and saying. And, oh, by the way, I think he's totally right about DeSantis. It's been overrated, all right? You know, it's just like Chris Christie. Remember that brief shining moment, 2000, what was it, 10, 11, when he yelled at a couple of reporters and everybody was like, oh, my God, this guy should be president. Well, we all, some of us knew better then, and now everybody knows better, all right? It takes more to be a president than being a tough guy in a press conference. You know what I mean? It, a lot more. Anyway, thank you, Max. One more. Sandra in New Jersey. Yes. Hi. Welcome. How are you? Hi. Uh-oh. We lose her? Sandra's one of our favorites. Be careful with the buttons over there. Let's do uh, Hudson in the Bronx. Yes. Hey, Greg. What's up, brother? How are um, you? So, I'm good, man. Uh, real quick, with all these callers calling up, these people are idiots, man. We can't fall into that damn trap where... Just because the New York Post is bashing Trump, now we're going to start following the news just like the Dems do. The reason why we cannot vote for DeSantis and the reason why Trump has to get in, and everyone needs to fall in line. I'm sorry, that sounds bad. They got to fall in line. Trump, towards the end of his presidency, started giving in to Fauci and stuff. And the reason is, the reason why they're so scared of him is that he was looking for a second term. 
So he was trying to appease them. That's why they're scared of him. They don't want him in. If he gets in that second term, he is burning the house down. He's tearing them down. That's it. If DeSantis gets in or Yunkin or whoever the heck wants, they're going to go in and they're going to do the same thing as him, and they're going to be looking for a second term. Well, if Trump gets in, this is his last term. He's going to burn them down. He's going to do what he said he was going to do at first. And he's going to wipe out the swamp. Hey, you want to know if I, yeah, I agree, Hudson. And do me a favor. Take a look at DeSantis on election night. And here's a re, it's a very beautiful image. Very beautiful. Um, he's with his family, young kids, very young kids, beautiful kids. And that tells me right there he shouldn't be president. He's got to wait 20 years until he's uh, ready to be president. Those kids have got to grow up. I think. You're designed to take care of uh, other things. He's going to be thinking about himself first. He's not equipped to think about the country first. You're just not. Biologically, you're not. So I think you're uh, I think you're spot on. I don't know about fall in line. I don't like that fall in line. I don't know. You're going to fall in line. You know what I mean? No. I mean, that's – I don't I don't like that. I don't like anybody telling us to you, – know, you, you, you join up. You sign up because you want to, not fall in line. But, Hudson, uh, thank you. All right, pal? Have a good weekend. And, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Just let me say one more thing. All right. Another thing that I'm, that I'm getting tired of is on the news and all these people, not you, but everyone else, they're talking about, ah, we ran banned candidates. We did this. We did this wrong. We did. No, no, no. They steal freaking elections. It's what they do. They steal elections. Kathy Hochul woke up this morning not thinking about what she's going to do for us, but how she's going to win her next election. Did you know that in Pennsylvania? Do you know that 70% of Democrats voted already? Before that debate that they had where the man can't even speak. This is what they do. You're right. You're damn right. This is what they do. And that early voting, that is a freaking scam. And you're absolutely right. That When was that debate? October 25th? How can they have the early voting before you have the debate? You know, some of these uh, some of these jurisdictions have mandated that you have debates before a certain date. If you want to receive matching funds here in New York City, you must participate in debates. Uh, I think they're, generally speaking, in late December, early October. This is insane. And I fear that it's baked into the system. And I don't know how we're going to overcome it. I really don't. I don't believe. Hey, by the way, what the hell is going on in Arizona, right? (laughs) Three days later, four days later, we could count votes faster In the 1924 election, I looked it up, and we did. All right, thank you. Last one, Pamela is in uh, Jersey somewhere. Yes, hi. Hi. um, You you have another career, if you ever want one, uh, doing voices. Your Trump and Pence is pretty good, and Pence is pretty hard to do. So, uh, Well, I thank thank you for that, Pamela. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right. And Uh, that that, that Hudson is so right. He's the voice of reason all the time. I like Hudson. And, you know, the, these Democrats are such drama queens, for, for Pete's sake. Didn't they ever have any friends that they called names and everything? I remember my sister, who was four years older when, when she was a teenager, and the names they used to call each other. But now it's so politically incorrect, you know. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, not just – I'm not talking racial. I'm just talking, you know, like uh, now it's socially unacceptable. But it was just all in fun. Everybody is so sensitive and, oh – you know, and and about DeSantis, you know, great. He seems great for the future. But, you know, now it's like, oh, he can drive a car. I think he <laughs> ought to be a president. Yeah, I know. He seems great. I really, Look, uh, 
I'm not down there. I don't know what the hell's going on, to be honest. I, 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 I don't. How do you really verify what these guys are doing? Uh, I, I know people go crazy about it. Yeah, he, but, but he did close down the state at one point. I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't live there. I don't live there. And I, 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 uh, he looks promising, says the right stuff, great resume. Um, but I don't know. Remember who had a great resume? Obama. Anyway, Pamela, oop, I'm up. I'll be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is a fabulous statement from Donald Trump, and it's all true. All true. Uh, let's see here. Last night. News Corp, which is Fox, the Wall Street Journal, and the no longer great New York Post. <laughs> Bring back call is all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious, an average Republican governor with great public relations who didn't have to close up his state, but did, unlike other Republican governors whose overall numbers for a Republican were just average, middle of the pack, including COVID, and who has the advantage of sunshine, where people from badly run states up north would go no matter who the governor was, just like I did. Uh, let's see. Ron came to me in desperate shape in 2017. Okay, this is where it's I don't know. Yeah, I got a little. Uh, he was politically dead, losing in a landslide to a very good agriculture commissioner, Adam Putnam, who was loaded up with cash and great poll numbers. Ron had low approval, bad polls, and no money. But he said that if I would endorse him, he could win. And I didn't know Adam, so I said, let's go. Let's give it a shot, Ron. When I endorsed him, it was, though, to use a bad term, a nuclear weapon went off. Years later, they were the exact words that Adam Putnam used in describing Ron's endorsement. He said, I went from having it made with no competition to immediately getting absolutely clobbered after your endorsement. I then got Ron by the star. Oh, yeah. I then got Ron by the star of the Democrat Party, Andrew Gillum, who was later revealed to be a crackhead. Jeez, it's true, by the way. By having two massive rallies with 10... No, actually, it's not true. He was into meth. But it's funnier if you say crackhead. It just is. And crackhead is in quotes. And it's close enough. This is the art. There's, there's an art to this stuff. It is. And this is politics. It's all fine. He's not saying he wants anything bad to happen to Andrew Gillum. But I'm sorry, Andrew Gillum was on the front page of every newspaper in America uh, naked on a hotel room floor. That's a, that's a problem. All right. By having two massive rallies with tens of thousands of people at each one, I also fixed his campaign, which had completely fallen apart. I was all in for Ron, and he beat Gillum. But after the race, when votes were being stolen by the corrupt election process in Broward County and Ron was going down 10,000 votes a day, along with now Senator Rick Scott, I sent in the FBI and U.S. attorneys, and the ballot theft immediately ended just prior to them running out of the votes necessary to win. I stopped his election from being stolen. Now, people are like, that's not true. Oh, my God, he's running. He did what? We got a need to investigate that. I think he just made some noise about, well, maybe we should send in the FBI if they can't get that election straight. 
and it got straight it got straight pretty quick because they were afraid of the feds. And now Ron DeSanctimonious is playing games. The fake news asks him if he's going to run if President Trump runs. And he says, I'm only focused on the governor's race. I'm not looking into the future. Well, in terms of loyalty and class, that's really not the right answer. I agree, actually. You know, I mean, you know how to answer that question. How can you turn your back on a guy who totally made your career? I remember his commercials. We've got to find one of those commercials, by the way. Uh, DeSantis was basically openly and admittedly doing a Trump impression. He had his baby in a Make America Great Again hat. He had his other kid building a wall in their little bedroom, like in the kid's room. They built a wall. I got to find that. That's uh, Yeah, that's true. And then for all that stuff, all that stuff that Trump did, they ask, well, what about your plans if Trump runs? I'm only focused. Wait, how does, how does DeSantis... You know, I'm only focused on the governor's race. I'm not looking into the future. A little bit, right? Needs work, but a little bit. Well, in terms of loyalty and class, that's really not the right answer. Absolutely right. Uh, This is like 2015 and 2016, a media assault collusion when Fox News fought me to the end until I won. That's true. They were Rupert has a big kind of thing with Trump. Can't quite. These billionaires are very jealous of each other. Um, And then they couldn't have been nicer or more supportive. The Wall Street Journal loved low-energy Jeb Bush and a succession of other people as they rapidly disappeared from sight, finally falling in line with me after I easily knocked them out one by one. We're in exactly the same position now. They will keep coming after us, MAGA, but ultimately we will win. Put America first and make America great again. Sign me up. I love it. I do. Now, let's turn our attention. All that's factually true. Unlike all the stuff that uh, Obama and Hillary were saying about each other. You know, all the stuff about Obama being uh, a Muslim and from Kenya. You know who started that, right? That wasn't Trump. That was Hillary. The Hillary people. Absolutely. Look it up. Uh, Sidney Blumenthal and those guys. Um, All right. Let's see here. Youngkin, Glenn Youngkin. Now he says, you know who Glenn Youngkin is, right? The governor of Virginia. He's like six foot seven inches tall. Very rich guy. Youngkin. And he spells it Y-O-U-N, separate word, kin, K-I-N. All right. This is exactly what Trump writes on True Social. Youngkin. Now that's an interesting take. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? (laughs) People are like, oh, my God, why would he say this? Why would he do that? Well, I think I know why he would do that, because Young Kin uh, was the head of something called Carlisle, the Carlisle Group, which is the ultimate swamp money-making sham firm. Well, I don't know if it's a sham. It's all legal, but, my gosh, very exploitive. It's this private equity something or other hedge fund, and they've got deals all over the world. They figured out all kinds of ways to make money. You know, you lose money, they make money. You make money, they make even more money. Um, all right. So Yunkin in Virginia couldn't have won without me. I endorsed him, did a very big Trump rally for him telephonically, got MAGA to vote for him, or he couldn't have come close to winning. But he knows that and admits it. Besides having a hard time with the Dems in Virginia. But he'll get it done. Okay, that's a, uh, I mean, I, I, uh, it's not kind of neither here nor there, but that's fine. It keeps you guessing. This is politics. The big difference is, 
He's doing it himself. And you know what? It's better if you do it yourself. These consultants, very, 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 very few are any good. They're all, they have no loyalty. Um, What's it like? What's a good analogy? Imagine hiring a baseball. You want to start a baseball team, a little league softball team, and you hire somebody and they never actually show up to practice. They're in another state, another city, and all they do is critique you on how your uniforms look and how to get better uniforms and more uniforms, and you should buy more uniforms for your friends and for the fans, and you need to put more advertising out there. Okay, well, what, when do we start playing baseball? Well, we'll get to that. First, we've got to talk about these uniforms and all the people you've got to hire to make the uniforms. Does that work a little bit, kind of? Anyway... I don't trust the consultants, and I like it that Donald Trump is doing it uh, himself. Hey, somebody else we can't trust because he is, oh, he's still conning everybody. Eric Adams. I'll get to him later. You know, they they closed down the Big Ten City on Randall's Island. This guy is just, uh, how does my brother put it? He's in a tub of butter, and he's sliding through life. He's just enjoying the hell out of it. New York is going down the tubes. Kathy Hochul, I see, is already in Puerto Rico. That's the one. That's a politically correct place to go on vacation, by the way, after you win an election. Um, and I don't know if I can ever trust an election with all these crazy rule changes that they did. What happened to Election Day? Everybody was on pins and needles. I noticed a lot of Democrats weren't even worried about this one. Not at all. Uh, I'll do Tony very quickly in Clifton, and then we take a break. Hi. How are you, Greg? Wonderful. I just want to say thank you for your service. I'm a vet also, and I I, I think anyone who served in the military is awesome. I just served in peacetime. Now let's so uh, talk did. about that for a second, Tony. First of all, what branch are you in? I was in the Army. What did you do in the Army? So I was in the communication center from 74 to 76, and I wound up in the 5th. Signal Command in Germany, which uh, is kind of amazing. All right, very cool. But listen, listen. if you were in the military, you and I both know that not everybody in the military was awesome. Would you agree with that? Yeah. You know, I found most of them were in the 5th Signal Command. I, all right, you had a great unit. Do you know how many people I know who got court-martialed, arrested for all kinds of things? Believe it or not, I know a guy who was just arrested in the military for being a spy for China. I mean, these guys, they're generally speaking a cut above, but I don't think you can just blindly say everybody in uniform is great because they're people. And I think they're definitely a cut above. They're above average, but even above, they're susceptible to all kinds of, didn't, you didn't know anybody who got into any kind of trouble? Didn't you meet any jerks when you were in the army? I really didn't. No. I hate to Isn't talk. Well, amazing? it was a long time ago. I mean, you, you probably look back on it like it was the, I met jerks the very first day I showed up at boot camp. I mean, it was like, let me out of here. I didn't want to. Didn't you, didn't you regret it when you showed up to boot camp? Well, I have to say that when I got to boot camp. Everybody I... regretted it at first. All right, Tony, thank you. Happy Veterans Day. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, if you saw my Newsmax show last night, you see we have not put down the matter of uh, Paul Pelosi and Nancy and uh, Dave the Pape and whatever the hell went down in that house. Uh, it's okay to have doubts. This is still America. We're allowed to hear things and wonder and question. In fact, we're supposed to question, especially especially when certain details make absolutely no sense, when there are major omissions. 
um, and when what we do know actually seems rather suspect. Uh, I'll say this overall about the timing and Nancy Pelosi actually giving a great big speech uh, the night before the election. We This happens, and then we don't see her again for about 11 days, and then she finally goes public the night before the election uh, on Monday. That's the eve of the election. And what does she do? Uh, she blames uh, Trump and January 6th for all of her woes. Um, now, this is very suspicious. I'm sorry. Uh, she does not even bring up the matter with her husband. Doesn't even ask him about what the hell happened. Cut 30, please. Has he been able to talk to you about what he was thinking when he woke up and found this person in, in the room? We haven't quite had that conversation because any revisiting of it is really traumatizing. <laughs> right? Come on. No way. Especially it's her bedroom. I mean, I think she'd want to know what the hell happened. Did he go into my stuff? What happened in here? He was right here? Well, what happened? By the way, he told the cops, allegedly, gave the cops a report in the ambulance. He wasn't too traumatized to talk about it. Better get used to it. I guess he's gonna, there's going to be a trial, right? He's going to have to tell the story. Too traumatizing. We've all been through some traumatizing things, every single one of us. And um, I think the wife... Deserves to know. Maybe there are some parts he can't share. I don't know. Uh, And here's the political angle. You ready? Here she goes. Cut 31. President Biden drew a line between what happened on January 6th and and the attack on your husband. The president said, I quote, the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those were the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States so, Capitol on January 6th. That's Do you dr- Absolutely. There's no question. It's the same. It's the same. Absolutely. There is no question. And who's been assisting that in the days leading up to the election? It's a very critical week, wouldn't you think? And it was all dominated by, oh, what a threat MAGA is. And now this guy, DePape, who is a uh, BLM uh, nudist activist in San Francisco. He's not a Trumper. He's not a Trumper. And I have not seen his Facebook page. I have not seen his Twitter. I've not seen his Tumblr. I've seen mainstream media reports about all those things, and they cite law enforcement sources, but they haven't seen those things, but they're just telling us what he believed and what's going on here. No, I don't believe I don't believe we know the whole story. I just, I actually know it. I know it. Um, and then the chief, this was another major giveaway to me that something was up we talked about this but I, I i still find it fascinating a big city police chief again san francisco you know that's not uh that's not palm beach that's a big city they have real crime in san francisco dirty harry dirty harry one dirty harry two the enforcer the double enforcer the intruder the penetrator all those dirty harry movies were based in san francisco And here's the chief, brought to tears, brought to tears by the notion that the the husband of a congressperson hit in the head with a hammer, he just, he just, he loses his composure. Cut 32. Our elected officials are here to do the business of their cities, their counties, their states, and this nation. Their families don't sign up for this to be harmed. And it is wrong.
And everybody should be disgusted about what happened this morning. With that, we will take any questions and we will only answer what we can answer. <laughs> Just can't keep it together. I've, this guy has seen probably a thousand dead bodies in his life. A thousand stabbings, shootings. He's seen people who have been dismembered. And he's getting emotional about Paul Pelosi getting hit in the head with a hammer. And he wasn't even there. (laughs) That is incredible and makes no sense. And here's proof again. Here he is four months ago talking about the latest string of stabbing deaths in San Francisco. And for him, it's just another day at the office, as it quite frankly should be. I don't blame him for this, but this is how normal police officials talk uh, because, well, this is their business, death and destruction, and trying to prevent it. Cut 32. No, wait. Our elect. No, uh, sorry. Cut 33. Have been multiple arrests in just a few short days. The police chief says there still is a lot of work to be done. Turning to the public. You know, these these arrests happen in quick succession, and we wanted to make sure we got that information out, but we also need the public's help. San Francisco has seen 20 homicides so far this year. While we have the public's attention, we want to make sure we take advantage of that, and if anybody has anything that they can provide that helps these investigations or any others, I think it's a good opportunity. Tara Campbell, ABC7 News. If anybody has anything, you know, just give us a call, please, because, you know, you maybe even you. No, he had this, like, joking kind of, you know, this is not the worst day of my life demeanor and he tilts his head in a funny way and uh they're playing games hey speaking of game i have not seen eric adams in a while and uh oh this talk about it listen to this cut 36 it's unfortunate that democrats have a good crime story they didn't tell it if you look at the republican states you'll see the homicide rates are extremely high uh when you look at their policies around not funding police, you know, uh, they allow Democrats allow the Republicans to pin the defund movement on them. Well, that's not the position of the majority of Democrats and the real defunders were the Republicans. They didn't want to put money back into uh, the crime um, strategies that supported police. They did not want to fight against the common sense gun laws. So Democrats had a good story. They just didn't tell that story. And for whatever reason, they felt if you came out openly and say, I support my law enforcement like I do all the time, they felt as though they were going to lose the fringe arm of the party. And I just refuse to believe that. Every day New Yorkers support their police. They want to be safe. And they want their leaders to say that. And I don't think we said that enough. Yeah, just say it. All you got to do is say things. Politician. That's, That's what he thinks the answer is. Just saying stuff. All you got to do is say stuff, and people will believe it. Some of this stuff that he just said, he's so dumb that he actually believes it. He's so dumb. He is a dumb person, all right? So he believes these crazy Democrat talking points that they come up with at the DCCC and elsewhere, moveon.org, all those crazy groups, right? And they actually will try to say with a straight face that Ohio, a red state, a MAGA state, if you will, a Trump state, right, has a higher crime rate because of MAGA. No, that's not true. They have a higher crime rate because of Cleveland. All right? You'll see a sea of red, a sea of red, uh, Ohio, red county after red county, 
Then go to Cleveland. Go to Cleveland and the surrounding county. They are bright, bright, bright blue. Run by hardcore Democrats. This is the case throughout the country. Okay? It's in Ohio. It's in California. It's in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is probably the worst. You got you got blue Pittsburgh a little bit. You got very blue Philadelphia. It's all red in between. And you got them coming forward and saying, it's not us. It's the MAGA states. It's the... It is blue state, it's blue cities that are a real threat to black children, quite frankly. And there's Eric. He doesn't, he just thinks this is a game. It's just a game and telling a story. By the way, um, the, the notion that he won on a crime fighting platform, that was just a con for the uh, New York Post editorial board. He wasn't serious. Anybody who looked at his background would know that about him. And, I think, quite frankly, he just won because he was the black guy with the name recognition. Had nothing to do with his resume or background. He'd been hanging around New York long enough, Brooklyn Borough President, whatever, making noise. He was the black guy with name recognition. I mean, who was he up against? I don't think he was up against one office holder. Catherine Garcia, who the hell? She was the, the sanitation commissioner. Who's the sanitation commissioner right now? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Who's the um, Andrew Yang? He never held office. The Noah Wiley, Maya Wiley, she had never held anything. He was the black guy with name recognition. And now he's the mayor, and we're all paying a big price. And he says, you just got to tell a good story. You just got to say things, and people will believe you, especially if you're like Eric and you're wearing a nice suit and you're all fit. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people will just kind of, they won't question you. Because they're intimidated or they're afraid or they don't want to be called a racist. And you know who's like that most of all? The New York City Press Corps. They didn't want to give Eric Adams a hard time because, oh, boy, he's black and we can't do that. However, I noticed they really enjoyed picking on the Asian guy. Interesting, right? You know what it's like? It's the high school freaking cafeteria. It's just like the high school cafeteria and the cool kids, that little media set. What are they called now? Actually, there's a term for it. Hipster racism. The young people, the millennials, they are some of the most bigoted people out there. Believe me. I'm giving this guy a pass. Wow. And here we are. Here we are. All right. Get my pollster on the phone. I'm serious about this. Hey, it's Veterans Day. And one of the things that we should think about Veterans Day uh, is Donald Trump. You know what? He was the big funder and mover behind the Veterans Day Parade. He also helped establish the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Oh, and I just remembered, one of the very first uh, speeches I ever heard Donald Trump give was actually quite remarkable. Do I have time for this story? Um, So it was over at the Metropolitan Club. It's in like 2011, I think, 2011. I was the MC of this Vietnam Veterans Memorial uh, benefit. I was the MC, but I was like the deputy MC. So my job was to introduce the person who was introducing Donald Trump. I noticed a couple of things about him that day. I had already knew that he was not much of a handshaker, but he and the whole family were there. Don, he, he had a hand sanitizer. He was using the hand sanitizer, and he was shaking a lot of hands. I thought, huh, he's. I know he doesn't like to shake hands, but here he is shaking hands. Huh, just whatever. Um. I introduce the guy I had introduced, and then I go and sit back at my table. I'm not on the dais. I'm all the way kind of in the middle of the ballroom, right? The guy introduces Donald Trump, and Donald Trump gets up. 
Anybody who's ever given a speech in the world during that moment when they actually have to go give the speech, all they're thinking about is the speech they got to give. They're thinking about themselves. You know what he did? He walks right up to me in the opposite direction. He goes, Greg, I just want you to know that you're great and I really like your dad. It was just kind of nice. You know what I mean? And is he flattering? Yes. But it was odd and interesting and nice that he was doing it just that he had to give as he had to give this big speech. And then he gets up there and he says something remarkable. I'll never forget it because, well, it happens to be so true, but almost never stated. Okay. So here it is. He's like, you know, I got to tell you something. Uh, One of the reasons why I'm supporting this memorial is. I wasn't in the Vietnam War. I wasn't in the military. And I've always felt guilty about that. And it's interesting that he used that word because I do know that it motivates a lot of folks out there. Guilt. And that's okay. But I've just never heard anyone acknowledge it, especially when it comes to uh, Vietnam. Most men his age did not serve in Vietnam. And some of them to this day do feel guilt or pang of regret. And it was just remarkable to hear him say it. You know that... uh, Who's like our Tom Brokaw and his Greatest Generation book? People even think he joined the military. Anyway, there are a lot of folks who feel just that way but would never say it. He did, made an impression, a positive one. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. We are back with three of the greatest New Yorkers in the history of New York. John Katsimatidis, the owner of WABC and a Red Apple Media and a hell of a lot of other things. <laughs> John, thank you so much. It's Veterans Day. John, hello. Yes, I am here. Uh, and uh, I wish we didn't have so much rain. And Bruce Mosler and, and Ken Fisher. Bruce, you just came from the parade. Yes, sir. What's going on in the parade? Well, first of all, I had the privilege of introducing our Grand Mar- Marshal Vince Patton. Uh, what an extraordinary human being, the first African-American to be the Master Chief in the Coast Guard, 30 years of service. Um, I believe he's served five years in continuous service at sea, or not continuous, but in aggregate service at sea, 50 rescue missions. These are the half of the 1% that we honor today, the folks that uh, in our hour of need, when our nation asks who will go for us, it's the, these folks like Vince Patton who raise their hand and say, send me, I will go. So Veterans Day, eleven eleven. It's uh, I believe this is Armistice Day, right? When they ended World War One. Oh, so it's exactly right. and I, I don't know who started it, but we honor veterans, and it's you know, I don't know of anybody really who honors veterans more than the Fisher family and the Fisher House and Zach Fisher, the late great Zach Fisher, what he did and uh, the intrepid, but the Fisher House and Ken, you are running the show over there now. Uh, can you tell? First of all, great to see you. You too, Greg. Tell the Fisher House is a place where people can go when they're going through a very, very difficult time. Can you explain uh, what it is and how how Zach got the idea? Yes, Fisher House are comfort homes for families of our wounded, injured, and ill servicemen, women, and veterans to stay in at no no charge uh, for as long as they need to. Uh, There are 93 houses as we talk today. There will be 100 by 2024. Zach got the idea when, after bringing the Intrepid to New York City, he wanted to do more. He became so enamored with the military, and he couldn't serve because of a construction accident. So he wanted to do more, and he got a phone call from the wife of the then Chief of Naval Operations, Pauline Trost, 
who made him aware of this basic yet very underappreciated need that families of our wounded, injured, and ill had no affordable place to stay while their loved ones were receiving treatment. And Zach said, you know what, we got far too many people that point out our problems. I want to be solution-driven. He said, I'm a builder. I know architects. I can build a house. And that's exactly how Fisher House started back in 1990. You know, it's so uh, ubiquitous now. And under- a lot of folks, John, think that the Fisher House is like part of the, the government. It must be a government-made <laughs> thing. It's actually it's it's privately funded, and it's just part of now the military infrastructure. And it's amazing. It's amazing. So, look, the parade, uh, did it come off without a hitch? I mean, rain is rain. Came off without a hitch. Uh, the mayor was there. Um, our commissioner of, of Veterans Affairs um, was there. Ended, and we we got off on time, on schedule, and on budget. All right. Now, what about, didn't Trump, now, I, I don't want to make this political, but we all love Trump, and I think he loved the veterans as Who? well. <laughs> Come on. Now, wait a second. All right, all right, all right. We, we got to take a quick break. But my understanding is Donald Trump helped, uh, helped the Veterans Day Parade along and the veterans, uh, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Let's talk a little bit about him when we come back. And, uh, gentlemen, thank you, Bruce Mosler, Ken Fisher, and, of course, John Katsimatidis. More when we come right back on this Veterans Day. Thank you, gentlemen. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, we're back on this Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. I always feel happy Veterans Day. Do you say happy Veterans Day? Sure you do. You sure you do. Yeah. Um, and as a veteran, quite frankly, I feel very, very grateful to uh, the American people and to my government. Um, John, I already heard from Bruce and Ken about what motivates them to get uh, to do stuff for veterans. You, I know you're the most generous guy in New York, but is there something along the way that just, you know what, you're going to single out veterans and you're going to do what you can for them? Was, did something happen, or an episode or a moment? Well, I did lose a cousin in, in Vietnam, and uh, we grew up on the same block, uh, played skullsies together on the streets, played stickball together on the streets. And uh, he uh, was an Eagle Scout uh, with uh, all kinds of medals. In other words, this kid grew up as a real American in a poor neighborhood of 135th Street, and he went to Vietnam, and um, uh, he made the rank of, of, of major in like two years. Mm. And we had a lot of dedicated youth in Vietnam, and a lot of bad decisions were made in Vietnam. What was his name, your cousin? I really don't want to mention it. I understand. I his understand. Name, I'll say it. What the heck? <laughs> uh, his last name is Mavrudis. Hmm. And uh, he was a good kid, a good person. And, uh, you know, some the way we fought that war, we lost so many kids. And it didn't have to happen. That's my opinion, Bruce and, and Ken. Uh, I have great sadness in that. And, you know, you know, we, it's a different kind of war. You know, it's like the Brits... In 17, uh, uh, in, 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 during the, uh, uh, our uh, revolution, you know, walking around in, 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 uh, in uh, red coats 
and having a, a ceremony. And at that time, the American Revolutionary guys were the terrorists. Well, in Vietnam, it was the other way around. Our soldiers were sophisticated, etc., etc. But we were fighting a bunch of terrorists or a bunch of people that were fighting for their own land. And and we lost 50,000 kids. And it wasn't, you know, I don't think uh, our generals knew how to fight a war like that. Think about it, Bruce. Look, I almost went there myself. Now, Vietnam had uh, major problems, and uh, we lost too many guys. You know, it's interesting, though, now today more guys are coming back. So many people who are surviving these horrible injuries definitely would have died 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And then they enter the healthcare system of the military. And you guys are kind of on the tip of the spear when it comes to veterans affairs, VA affairs, uh, healthcare issues. How is America doing? Again, not to politicize it, but there's, there was a lot of focus on it. We, we kind of as a country dropped the ball, at least the federal government did about 10 years ago to Ken and Bruce. Are we better? Are the guys better? Are they getting better treatment? Well, I, I will say, yes, they are. But we had to go through uh, some extreme time before we really realized what was going on. Look at what happened at Walter Reed back in 2007 uh, when we finally learned about the backup. Now, 95%, as you pointed out, 95% of these men and women were surviving wounds that would have been fatal in Vietnam. But this caused a backup that we just were not prepared for. And it exposed other issues, primarily, you know, one in four were coming back, as estimated, one in four were coming back with post-traumatic stress. But you you know what what else is wrong? They survived the wounds, but they came back, and it's not, we don't have the statistics. They came back with no legs. Mm. They came back with no arms. They came back really destroyed people. Well... And it's not not being counted in in the numbers I gave you because I've been counting uh, our losses in Vietnam uh, and uh, uh, Korea, 50,000, 50,000, I'm just estimating, and 7,000 in Afghanistan. That's 107,000. And you know what I've been using those numbers for? In the last 12 months... The Chinese fentanyl gangs that feed the Mexican fentanyl gangs, in 12 months, we lost 120, 130, 140,000 Americans. Yes. Yeah. Okay? Right. And, and, and your Secretary of Homeland Security doesn't even know what the heck is going on. He's allowing these drugs to come in. That's why when I look at the Arizona results, the New Mexico results, I said, these people are being attacked. Every day, hmm. they, they have people crossing the borders. Hmm. I mean, I, 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 I have to cry for these people. And how is it possible that the Democrats won some of those states? Well, fake news. There's a lot of fake. <laughs> I'm going to say it's fake news, John. I, I hope so. There's a lot of fake news. Well, but, uh, but listen, I'm buying an extra box of Kleenex because I really care about America. And- I, I think, you know, John, you raise a lot of very complex issues. And I, I would say just bringing it back to our military, ready to your question, I think there is some fundamental change that has occurred 
to which Kenny spoke in terms of medical care first um, in in that critical hour uh, where someone's wounded. Our, our, the golden, the golden, the golden hour. hour. Our our medical capability has increased, you know, tenfold. So we are able to fortunately have many men and women survive catastrophic injury. I think the second thing is that um, we are we are getting better in terms of although slowly at times in terms of the health care plan long term that we provide for our veterans who serve. The the PACT Act, which was just passed, was a critical, critical health care improvement, perhaps the most significant reform to health care since the GI Bill. PACT Act now picks up another twenty three different respiratory illnesses attributable to burn pit and other toxic waste that our men and women, our soldiers who served, were exposed to. So I think this country is more aware of and every day is getting better, taking care of that half of the 1% that volunteer to serve like yourself. So it's not done. There's more to do. Kenny, you but can I, touch but on I some will of say this, this. Please. I don't think that this country will ever be where it needs to be yeah. unless the whole soldier is focused on. And when I say the whole soldier, I'm not just talking about the man or woman wearing the uniform. I'm talking about the family behind them. These families bear burdens and make sacrifices that the average American will never understand. They serve with those who are serving. When they're deployed, they sit there and they worry and they wonder, and and then they get that phone call, Uh, which is why I think, you know, to those who made the ultimate sacrifice, uh, the house we built at Dover was probably one of the most critical houses that we ever built because when they were allowed to come in to witness the dignified transfer, which is what we call it, uh, these families would come in at 3, 4 in the morning and then would have to drive 3 or 4 miles to a cheap motel. I was made aware of this on a cell phone call from the Surgeon General of the Army. Who called me and told me that we mobilized and built a house in six months? And, and, and the one thing you got to point out to me, and I don't know if it was at uh, Arnold's uh, funeral that was said, why are we blaming? Why are they picketing the veterans, the soldiers? These people were ordered by the politicians to go to war. They were ordered by the politicians, and, and you want to pick at anybody? Don't pick at the people that follow orders for. For our country, pick it, pick it the politicians that give the orders. Did we learn anything from Vietnam? Right. You know, I'll, I'll tell I don't you, think so. I, I, I'm going to tell you a story. I was walking home from work, and I came upon a man wearing a veteran, Vietnam veteran's hat. And I walked up to him, and I just said to him, thank you for your service, because I thought that that's something that he would want to hear. And he looked up at me with this bitter look on his face, and he said to me, that's not what we wanted to hear. And I said, well, just out of curiosity, what did you want to hear? He said, how about welcome home? So to the Vietnam veterans out there, I say welcome home because they never heard that. Agreed. It wasn't their fault. You know who the most honest president we had? Dwight Eisenhower. What was the exact words he used, Greg? You mean the military? Beware of the Mm. military industrial Industrial complex. complex. (laughs) Because these people... The military-industrial complex don't care if five thousand soldiers die; mm-hmm. they care about how many how many missiles are they going to sell, how many bullets are they going to sell, how many guns they're going to sell. Yeah. And look, I am I am pro-America. 
I am pro-military. No. I am, but let's not fight wars for the politicians. Let's not fight wars for the military-industrial complex. Yes. Remember, always out there, you know, the million people that listen to us, always remember Dwight Eisenhower's words, and he was a five-star general. Mm-hmm. You know, you, sorry, please, anyone, anyone? Oh, well, I have to thank you for this. All three of you, you're all titans in your own way. And um, not only have you given a lot to the veterans, but you guys are job creators, mm-hmm. all of you. and you've Especially hi- Cushman and Wakefield. I, Cushman and Wakefield, John, the Fishers. I mean, I hired somebody once to mow my lawn, and I, it was too much managerial uh, headache for me. I mean, hiring, giving somebody a job, that's – it's a God – you know, God arranges all that, by the way. If you believe in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, God arranges all of that. And through you guys, and it's kind of an amazing thing. I ever say – it's – Anyway, I'm very grateful, and anybody who's ever gotten a job, they they start hating the boss in about three days. But they should take a step back and really think I'm about what's trouble. happening. I got one very important thing to say. One more thing. That uh, I don't know if it was Jack Jacobs that was on this morning or who said it. You cannot build on military right now that you want to be a woke culture military. We're fighting a bunch of killers out there. You know, we're, you know, may, maybe not the Russian army. They're not a bunch of killers. They they got killed. <laughs> but, you know, China is, is growing their military, and they're tough. They've got a bigger Navy than we do right now. Well, to your point, John, I think that, that um, uh, we're in a near-peer technology environment, which, which certainly levels the playing field. The one thing that United, the United States military, I think, has that no other military has is a level of training and a chain of command that empowers people to make decisions along the way, which is why our military in a near-peer technology environment will, will still prevail. They are the best trained, best equipped, most qualified. But and- we can't make them feel disgusted of what's what is being forced on them by the – by the poli- go back to the politicians. Is it becoming a little bit woke? You th- are you still in with Ben's, right? That's still- so. I still have the privilege of serving on the Ben's board, and I'm chairman, and I remain chairman emeritus. And Ben's is an amazing program, and there's a li- kind of a liaison between the civilian finance community, real estate community, yes. and the Pentagon, and uh, there's a a lot of back and forth. Is the wokeness thing? I think it's infecting a lot of different institutions, civilian and military. Uh, what's one big takeaway? What can we do? And I want to quickly run this by you. Is it possible? Uh, is it possible you can do too much for a veteran? No, I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so. I think to Kenny's point, no. But I will say this, Greg, in response to your question, is that um, you don't hire veterans for charitable purposes. You hire veterans because at the end of the day, they outperform their peers. This is statistically true. At the end of the day, they bring skill sets that are practiced, their leadership, their collaboration, their ability to motivate. Those are skills they learn in the military that give them a competitive edge when they come into the private sector. Mm. So you hire them, actually, because they're going to improve your bottom line. And we're, we're living proof of it. Cushman Wakefield today has 1,200 veterans in their system. Wow. At the end of the day, we're hiring at the rate of 600 a year. 
This year, we were advised that we were a top 10 military-friendly company. Um, that, to us, uh, is punching above our weight. We're very proud of that fact. But you hire veterans because they're going to be your best employees, and we should be very clear about that for no other reason. Hmm. Now, we're talking uh, – Cushman and Wakefield is doing a wonderful job under your guidance. Uh, the uh, – uh, Fisher family is doing a wonderful thing for our vets, but this is about the past. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we want, you know what my goal is? You know, I don't worry about ourselves. We're going to be okay, guys. I worry about our kids and grandkids to come. And the question is, don't forget what happened in Venezuela in 20 years. Venezuela went from the wealthiest country in South America to nothingness, mm-hmm. non-existence, just about. Now, the United States of America, we're under attack right now. Whether people recognize it or don't recognize it, our, our culture is under attack. They hate religion. They hate Jews. They hate any kind of religion. They hate the borders are porous. If we don't have, and they hate, they, they, our legal system is under attack. I mean, guys, if, if I'm saying something wrong, tell me. But, no. but I, want, I want to make it, I want our country, my, our responsibility at our age in 2023 is to make sure our country makes it to 2076, the 300th year anniversary. John, you've always said something that I think defines who you are at the core, which makes you unique. You, you've always said that, that common sense should drive decisions. It's something I hear from you on a consistent basis, wherever we are, whatever the circumstances are. I, I just, I'd say this. America is clearly facing extraordinary challenges, geopolitical, geoeconomic. But if you look at our country and where most people want to come and where they want to be, and where they want to live, it's the United States of America. So we do face challenges. We are, um, we, we, we can from time to time be our own worst enemy. We are, we are from time to time a house divided. But I would just say that any time this nation has been challenged, um, we come together to meet the challenge. And, and so I have faith in the future, but I think we need to have common sense practices. Well, I would say one more thing. Sorry, Greg, if, if I can. I think what we need to remember is red, blue, purple. We're all Americans, yes. first and foremost. Yes. And I think the, the sooner that we realize that, and, and especially as it relates to our military and our veterans, uh, that if this isn't a bipartisan issue, then I don't know what is. And if we want to talk about public officials, how about we start holding them accountable for the promises that they make at campaign time when they're on their soapbox with their mics and they're talking about all kinds of veterans' issues and how wonderful it's going to be for veterans, and then we just forget about it. Yep. How about we start holding them accountable? Prediction. In three years, it's Secretary of Defense Mosler, <laughs> Secretary of Veterans Affairs Fisher, <laughs> And Secretary of Commerce, Katsimatidis. Actually, can I? Can you want to swap? I kind of wanted to do that. 
I wanted to. Well, like, like, I want to be the cheapest. My staff. assistant Matt Whining says I wanted to be uh, a forest ranger. <laughs> we already have bickering in the future administration. We're going to have some issues, <laughs> gentlemen. I want to go fishing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very Thank you much, obvious. Bruce Mosler, Ken Fisher, John Katsimatidis, and we'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Gee, I thought you high-powered executives were needed downtown in a conference room or something. You're still here. Fantastic. I, are you guys okay? Are you behind schedule? Are you all right? Yeah, but you, minutes, all right. Oh, we have a few more minutes. Well, fantastic. Fantastic. Apparently, we're not so high-powered. <laughs> well, it is Friday, and you guys are the boss. So, hey, you, I mean, you know, how many people recognize the word T-G-I-F? Thank God I, God I God Are you kidding? Thank God it's Friday. With the Absolutely. home, uh, with the home working. Hey, wasn't that a kind of a cool move by Musk, telling everybody they got to show up? Or how do we? Oh, I'm sorry, Absolutely. you guys, right? I mean, you got to be face to face. God, I'm with you 100. Hey, if you don't, if you don't have a strong CEO that does those kind of things, short the stock. What I've been saying lately with General Motors, California, New York has said you got to go 100% electric cars by 2030, 2035, and General Motors is going to try to go all electric cars. My opinion, short to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I worry. You know, we're all electrifying now. We're putting electric chillers in the buildings now, and we're doing everything we can to cut our carbon footprint or get, you know, or get fined by 2030. You know, I worry about our infrastructure. If you want to talk about something that needs to be fixed, Absolutely. you know, I'm not talking about gateway. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about infrastructure. I mean, if our infrastructure collapses, what is going to happen to this country? Our power grid, all the things. That's what Kennedy, I'm talking that, about. That, yeah. that, 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 look, we are it's, – it's, it's really interesting to me that people talk about, you know, the technology, the ability to work remotely, and all that stuff is terrific. But here's facts of life. To innovate – you got to collaborate. To collaborate, you got to be in person. Right. So we are. By the way, the statistics, and I, this is something we study very closely. The statistics, the, the statistics will tell you that right now the hybrid workforce is is three days a week, not one, not two, which some people espouse. Three days a week turns to four days a week, and by the way, in a downturn, people will be back. We need you guys in the White House. And, and I want this meeting in the ties. White House. And they're going to start wearing ties again someday. I'd like to see my grandfather, what he would have done with this three-day-a-week thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would have loved to have well, seen my grandfather. Happy Veterans Day, we'll and thank there. you very, very much. Help, got, help the veterans. I'll see you tonight on the Newsmax Show, folks. Bye-bye. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.